0: right so the question is you can have as many gifts as you are blessed with the question is what are you doing with them to empower the next person right Um, and i think those gifts become more useful more effective if if you channel them then I remember boy, David E. Simons. Yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find David. Then I remember
1: boy, David E. Simons. Yeah. I have the distinct honor and privilege of having an awesome and phenomenal guest on today's show. How I discovered my gift. We have the awesome and honorable <clears> TK <throat> Boo. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then we're going to jump right in. I'm your host, David D. Simons. Welcome to the show. Chike is a Nigerian-American businessman, uh, educator, and entrepreneur. He's the chief executive officer at Startup 52. At 35, Chike became the youngest person in Africa to officially run for the seat of president as the 2019 youngest presidential candidate in Nigeria, Africa's most populous nation, and its largest economy. Chike became a Colin Powell Leadership Fellow on Public Policy at 20 years old. He focused his three year research on youth disconnection, the phenomenon of youth who are out of school and not working. Furthermore, as a Colin Powell Fellow, Chike helped develop a third wave of democratization and led a student team that helped achieve ex-UN Secretary General, the late Kofi Annan's papers, among other research areas. By 35, Chike became Nigeria and Africa's youngest ever presidential candidate. He was also inducted into the UN MIPADS Hall of Fame at 35 as its first and only global young leader. Chike was also named one of the most influential young Nigerians by Advanced Media. Wow. And that doesn't even, it's not even a half of everything you've done and all that you've done. Welcome to the show, Chike. Thank you for coming on.
0: Thank you, my brother. It's always uh it's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Wow.
1: <clears throat> Honored. Yes. So um on our show, uh, we really focus on helping people understand and discover their gifts. But I wanna I wanna just go through the journey, right? You 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 have a lot you've done in your lifespan. Uh, so just take us through the journey from 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 a young boy in Nigeria to where you are today in New York. Take <sighs> us. Through.
0: Hmm. Don't remember the last time i did that i'm gonna to try to remember as much as i can but also be as uh succinct as i can be um so yeah i was born in nigeria and <clears throat> the uh the fourth of six children um uh in five countries actually that's the funny thing so there's six of us but we're in five countries today um i left uh, i left nigeria at 19 uh to Come to New York to go to school, uh, City College of New York, um, studied biomedical engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, in my sophomore year, I had um, applied to this fellowship, the Colin Powell Fellowship you talked about. Yes. Um, at the time didn't know anything about public policies it was actually um, a, a fellowship for leadership in public policy mm-hmm. uh, but I knew I needed the money as an international student um, you know <laughs> everything that was a scholarship I had to apply for um, so but I got it and um, decided to focus on youth disconnection so the way youth disconnection is defined is uh, um, youth between the ages of 16 and about 25 who are out of school and out of work um <clears throat> you know coming from a very family-oriented um environment um very educationally driven uh, my mom is an educator my dad is an engineer yeah. well as well they're both retired but they're still alive so um and everybody was pushed right so there was something my father was told us right? you are not better than anyone and nobody is better than you so if you apply yourself to do your best you should be the best um, that there is right um and um and we we paid you know a couple we paid a price for not being the best in school you know growing up so everybody looked forward to um, the end of school session because you either got paid for doing well as we had to save money or you got spanked for not being the best at class, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So that was the environment I grew up in. So coming to New York, uh, City College of New York is in Harlem um, and seeing young people like myself who were out of school and out of work was um, a little abnormal for me, right? It, that was not what I was used to, right? Everybody's usually, you know, competitive, educationally in a good way. Um, So when I decided to focus on youth disconnection, right, it was at a time when I began to understand what blackness meant in the American context, right? Tell people, um, I never knew I was black until I came to America. Cause you know, you grew up in an environment where everybody looks like you, right? So color was not an issue at all. And then you walk into this new society without daddy or mommy or, you know, any of the coverings that tend to protect us. Um, and you're confronted with this new identity that you're forced to take on. Um, and in the American context, um, contradicts everything you're taught to believe about yourself, right? Um, it's it's you know the in the American context, blackness is associated with being being subpar. At least these were the things that you know I kind of encountered, right? You expect it to be to be subpar. Um, you're a thug, which means you're Humanity is is weaponized. Um, You know, there were all of these new realities that as a teenager I had to deal with. Um, So besides trying to understand this new identity and the clash of realities from where I was coming from and where I'm at now, how do I balance this? How do I define blackness for myself? Um, And then seeing people who looked like me, who um, at the time, with my young understanding, had either fallen victim to this blackness or did not have the right environment uh, to experience the sort of, I would say, nurture and privilege that I felt I had growing up. Um, And then when I looked at the solutions at the time, it was mostly what i thought were band-aid solutions right there were GD programs or there were menial jobs to connect you back into society but nobody was actually trying to understand the root causes of this connection and to tackle it from that perspective um i'll come back to the work let me just run through the journey yes um, so anyway went through uh city college studied biomedical engineering um minor in musical theater many people don't know that uh wow i did a bunch of shows musicals and whatnot um sorry Thing? Hey. um let's not go there no <laughs> 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 and yeah so let's just yeah leave that alone um so, so after i graduated i graduated in 2008 which was literally at the peak of the recession at the time you know um, the the first recession in my lifetime here we are going through another one um so moved down to jacksonville for a week or two hated the job i came back to new york um and began teaching math at city college um which i ended up doing for seven years um but the um the benefit to being able to do that was it gave me the room to pursue this other passion that i had which was youth disconnection uh, so in 2009 uh, i co-founded a nonprofit with a friend of mine um called re-life it was actually regarding youth life um, and our mission was to empower disconnected and art rescued uh true tech education and entrepreneurship um, the, the, the funny thing was, prior to that, had never taken any courses in entrepreneurship or business or anything. Really? We just knew, yeah. We just knew that um, entrepreneurship was extremely important in empowering this, um, I called them invisible community. Um, because these are people who are capable, who are able, um, but were just completely lost to the environment, to the society, and the ability to contribute. Um, So, real life was more of a a training ground for us in trying to understand even what we were trying to offer other people, as well as, you know, just trying to empower uh, this population. Um, Ran real life for about six years, but what we learned from that process was, for many of these young people who came through the doors, um and these were uh formerly incarcerated there were homeless youth there were domestic violence kids uh there were high school and college dropouts um it was just a plethora of you know um, different people represented um what we learned because the way the program was designed they were required to uh, launch a business by the end of the program which many of them did now What we learned from that experience was, one, this was a very resilient group of people, right? They were very creative. They were very diligent. They were very passionate about the things they cared about and that drove them to achieve, right? Two, what many of them needed was just access to opportunities right they just needed someone to believe in them someone to say i care and that made a world of difference in their lives we had a 17 year old kid who walked from brooklyn to harlem just to attend the program yes there were homeless youth who were who knew that 6 p.m monday through thursday they had to be there like we literally used to beg them listen dudes i have work in the morning like we have to go right um it was that it was that intense it it meant so much you know to them um and for us as well right so uh, we usually said it was it was funny that those kids we were actually empowering them we were learning from them you know i told someone like these are people who can stand on the corner of the street and make more money than you and i can in a year, they can do that in a week, right? So there was a lot to learn from them about their process. Right. Um, that was important for us to um, to learn about ourselves, um, to to um, stay true to the the vote fo- to the mission that we had. Because it's when you run a nonprofit and you have to raise money and you don't have capital and all that, it's easy to abandon that, right? You yeah. you can easily get you know um, easily worn out. Uh, but looking at the passion, I mean, there was just no way you could abandon the work you're doing because of how much, you uh, personally, I got from the program. Um, anyway, so in 2015, uh, so what happened was beyond the program, many of these kids kept coming back. You know, They needed um, resources. They had questions about their businesses and how to grow them and all that. Uh, but also, the other thing we did was um, in 2012, 2013, we partnered with City College right, to bring on college students mm-hmm. uh, because I told people I'm like, you know, um, the one thing that was missing from my five years of biomedical engineering was nobody teaching me how to monetize that skill set, mm. right? Every, you're prepared to go into the workforce and work for the man, right? You work for someone. Um, Everything around career preparation was, oh, we need to clean up your CV and, you know, this internship here, or, you know, how do you get this job here? Nobody teaches you that you can actually be the job creator, right? right. Um, And that was a problem for me. Um, So when we approached City College, we are like, listen, this is my experience here. these are the benefits we see with empowering students with entrepreneurship. Um, we're already doing this in the community. It would be great to have college students as part of this. And the School of Engineering was they were they took it up. I mean, we're not asking them to give us money. So they give us space. They give us, you know, um, everything we practically needed besides money. Um, so we're able to combine, you know, kids in the community with college kids. And um, by the end of the program, you actually did not know the difference mm. because um, the, the quality of, the, of um, work that the kids from the community were producing in many cases was now better than some of the college students. Wow. Yeah. Um, and when they now realized that, it encouraged many of them to start to ask questions about how to go back to school. So not only did we become um, teachers of entrepreneurship, we now also had to assist them in getting GDS and going back to school. I have people who went through the program who work at Google today. Wow, look at that. um, Who have PhDs, you will not believe it. Who have masters, who have their own businesses, yes. Um, You know, and it was just from that labor of love right um so in 2015 we decided well the next right thing to do was to find ways to create access to capital and more resources um for this community so i began to do some research um on accelerators and um pre-accelerators and what that looked like but what that research turned out turned up rather was um the fact that there were many highly educated young people not just young people of color um who had brilliant ideas um but lacked the same access right um venture capital in the community there was less than uh, i think at the time it was just about one percent of venture capital uh, was going to founders black founders right which was dismal yeah. Um, so I began to reach out to founders who'd been to, you know, the famous tech accelerators to so ask them about the experiences. And those were not in themselves any better. Right. So even those who were privileged enough to get into the Y Combinators or, you know, the dream adventures or the five of the startups still told you that one, the mentors, the investors, the ecosystem was not designed for them so they still found themselves as outsiders in these spaces even though it came with all of these so-called perks right um that was how startup 52 was born so startup 52 was recognizing that there was a huge opportunity um there was a huge need one our people you know um what i called what i now called untapped communities so we graduated from invisible communities who were disconnected and are rescued to untapped community i like that <laughs> right um and uh, we realized okay so there are several there are thousands if not millions of founders of color who are extremely talented um but are not being seen or heard um, or represented um, in this spaces in the tech ecosystem um, so that in itself was a problem and the opportunity there was well this is an opportunity to tap into this brilliance um, and create you know the the magic that could happen um, so in 2015 I launched startup 52 um, which became the first diversity-focused tech accelerator. Um, Definitely in New York City, um, but we also think probably across the nation. Wow. Yeah. um, And our mission pretty much graduated from real life, you know, to being able to create um, better access to resources and capital and a network for founders from what we call untapped communities. Um, and then the way we define untapped communities were now people of color, uh, women, um, immigrants, seniors, disabled founders, LGBTQ founders. So we usually say, if you feel like you don't belong, you belong with us. Right? Uh, that was that was a tagline. Um, and um, it, it kind of it picked up from there. Yeah. Um, ran three cohorts in 2018. Moved back to Nigeria to run for office, which is an entirely different story to tell. And came back. Uh, so the thing I tell people is, um, I think it was a 27, 27, between 27 and 29. Uh, 2012, I was 29. Um, after going through years of, like I said, trying to define blackness for myself. Mm-hmm. Right. I tell people that was the greatest challenge I had to face in America. Right? Not homelessness, not black. It was that. It was dealing with this new reality um, and um, the tussle between those realities. Right, um, But I tell people in, in doing that, um, what I found or the, the greatest lesson that I learned was wait. Hey, this is not just a personal struggle right there is an entire global community of people who are going through the same thing Mm -hmm. right um but even better than that there is this entire global community of black excellence right um which you personally have to define for yourself because it impacts every other person who's coming behind you right that. um and then all of a sudden there was that transition from being this evil boy from nigeria to now telling people listen i am black first before i am african before i'm nigerian before i'm evil right because in the grand scheme of things that is a global community there are black people in south america there are black people in australia there are black people all over the world and as a race yes we're most um um vulnerable to discrimination right but we also have so much power um i I love
1: that i want to i want to take another direction i thank you for, for breaking that story down i think you've given given us such a a, a clear outline of your journey and how all these dots connect um I want to take it to because i see a weaving between everything that you're doing right a desire to um help those who feel helpless in, in a sense mm-hmm. uh, and or those that are not recognized so obviously you're very intelligent, you know, you're in engineering, taught mathematics, went to Wharton, went to all these different, uh, Stanford and, uh, and Wharton too, right. Mm-hmm. Um, all these different places and, and, and educated yourself to a very high level. But what would you say is your most dominant gift? And then the second question is how did you find it?
0: Woo. I would say, and that's because you caught me off guard with that one. Yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. Uh, I'll probably say empathy. Mm. Um, well, I just wanna I just to say something right there. That's amazing. Out of all the, the
1: brilliance and all the things that you do and all that you know, you didn't say the ability to, to code you didn't say the ability to because i think young people are listening are like well isn't my gift to code or to uh use technology but, but sorry i just had to had to underscore that for those listening that co- although she has all these skills he didn't mention that interesting
0: yeah um because i think at the at, you know so what i was going to say about 2012 or 29 um i actually wrote down what I called my life's purpose, right? Um, and I have it somewhere. I have it handy. I always have to go back to that to remind myself of the reason—the reason why I am here. I believe, right? Um, and I think underlying that purpose is empathy, right? Is recognizing that um, you. It, it's a collective responsibility to fight for those or rather to use your privilege to fight for those who do not have it. Right. Um, and as much as we we put up and we fight against, you know, white supremacy and, you know, white privilege and all that, um, we all have privileges. right? Um, for instance. Uh, You and I can talk, you and I can hear, you and I are healthy. Um, There are people who don't have that privilege, right? How are we using that to empower them, right? Um, And your ability to recognize the privileges you have in spite of every other thing um, and try to use that to help somebody else um, is dependent on your ability to empathize to see through some of the person's pain and to um, do what you can um, to empower them. Because it comes back. We're all connected. We're all interconnected, whether you like it or not. You may say, hey, I may not see the benefit in my lifetime, but it's a legacy that you built, that you're building, right? Um, There's a reason why, you know, so many decades after the death of Martin Luther King, we're still talking about him right so many centuries after the death of jesus uh, you know we're still talking about them that's legacy right so the question is you can have as many gifts as you are blessed with the question is what are you doing with them to empower the next person right um and i think those gifts become more useful more effective if if you channel them for that cause that's a, that's personal that's what i believe it may not be true for everyone it may not be applicable to everyone um but that's what drives me
1: wow that's that's phenomenal so I, I see that also woven into everything you do that empathetic gift how did you find it how when did you recognize it how old were you how did you discover it and and how would you help say to young people how do they can discover theirs <clears throat>
0: Uh, So I talk about, you know, coming from this very protected family environment as a child. We're very sheltered, you know. Um, But anyone who knows Nigeria understands that there are both ethnic strife and religious strife. So I'm from the Southeast. The South is predominantly Christian. The North is predominantly Muslim. So we grew up believing that Islam is a violent religion, right? Bad people, you don't, da, da 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 da. But I came to New York, and um, New York is this part of everything, right? Um, I met people from countries I had never heard of at City College right, in my life. Um, and for a long time, I actually, you know, confused Dominica, the island of Dominica, and Dominica Republic. It was so funny. Yeah. Um, So, but what that did was it made me start to look at people who did not look like me differently. So, we all have biases that you know are inherent to us for whatever reasons. Um, We all have prejudices, whether we like it or not. Right? You just have to be intentional in working on yours. Um, So, and anybody who knows Nigeria knows Nigeria is a very, very homophobic nation. I mean. Homosexuality is criminal in Nigeria, right? Um, So you come with that perspective, right? And it's we pick and choose, you know, whom we think we're supposed to love and whom we're we're not supposed to. Um, But dealing with the reality of racism in America started to confront all of those biases because um i went through a phase where i had to understand that well i had convinced myself that it was evil it was wrong for someone to judge me just for the color of my skin without knowing who i am right you can literally see me on the street and decide this person is not worth you know given a benefit of doubt right this person does not deserve to live like i do just because of the color of my skin and for a long time that completely confounded everything that i was like i just could not understand it but then you hear that still small voice that says yes it is wrong but who else are you doing the same thing to yes
1: so in that right you are you're, you're mm-hmm. confronting this you're you're seeing the, the the injustice in many ways uh challenging all all the ideologies and things you were taught back in nigeria yep. but you still had to find it like what how did you find it right how did you find that you're empathetic how did you what 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 was there a moment was there you said 2012 you wrote it down this is my purpose but how did you know that okay this is it this is my gift
0: and this, and I'm going to use this gift to do this I, I you know i don't think there was that one moment right i think it was um there was growth to it right right it was Several experiences. Um, I, of course, was stopped and fricks uh, or whatever, several times. Um,
1: Can you tell us about the, the laptop situation? Because I
0: think... Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so this was, I think, in 20, 2013 or so. Um, I had just, and you know, we've talked about this before, right? I, like I said, I used to teach at City College and um, I had just left class. It was at three in the afternoon. Um, I had to go pick up a, a zip car rental from a, a parking lot. And um, I had my laptop in my hand, you know, running down um, Convent Avenue, which is City College. Um, <clears throat> 141st Street, I can never forget. And by the time I got down to St. Nicholas, so I was running down this the road between Convent and St. Nicholas on 141st Street. By the time I got down to the end of the, the corner right there in St. Nicholas and 141st, there were three cop cars and six, you know, cops jumped out of the car. And I'm like, okay, initially you don't think anything of it because, you know, you're, you're just going about your business until you realize, wait, You are the reason, like, small me was the reason why six cops, you know, were here. Um, What's the problem? Oh, you know, they got a call that, you know, someone was making away with a stolen laptop. Okay, what does that have to do with me? Well, um, is the laptop in your hand yours? Like, what do you mean? Yes, it's mine. I just came from teaching a class and I am going to da-da-da-da-da and you would think it's so, okay fine somebody made a call you know that's it right i explained to you of course if someone made a call you you as a cop the law enforcement is your responsibility to you know respond to that but as a citizen well i'm not even a citizen actually you know as a human being who says this is not the case right? i've explained um it was that benefit of doubt i was talking about no i had to show my faculty id and literally had to open the laptop to put my password in before i was allowed to leave um and you know just talking about it it seemed so whatever but in the moment the only thing that went through my mind was i could be shot here wow right um and i think this was right after trayvon trayvon martin um and i stood there like i I stood frozen right there in the middle of the street after they had left just thinking and in that moment it dawned on me i'm like being african does not mean anything to these people all they see is a black body so when, when, you know, some of my friends who are Africans are like, why are you so passionate about the African-American experience? You're not even American. I said, listen, yes, I'm not African-American, but I'm African in America. Which means I shared the same experiences that many of them do. So keeping quiet to the travails of blackness in America means sacrificing not just my own life, but posterity those of my children and those to come um if i'm not leaving this world better than it was when i was here right um so there were several moments like that there were several instances um, that we, and that and i i wrote a piece um after that experience called um, then the name has changed a couple of times initially was i am Black Jesus, right? And then it became, I am your Jesus, right? And <clears throat> the, the concept of it was literally associating the cross of 2,000 years ago with the lynching tree of today, right? And how I feel like the Black race has become um, that un- unblemished lamb you know um being led to the slaughter right you know that there has to be shedding for there to be remission of sin there has to be shedding of blood and um, so the only way i could rationalize everything that was going on at the time was the the the, the blood of the black race is atoning for humanity's sin nice. right um and my family made me not put out that that piece because mm. they're like my father cried when I said, I'm going to publish it. It's like, they will kill you. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it was just so, I, I, I thought, I'm like, this does not make sense. It's, it's just not, it just doesn't, right? So it was a bunch of things. It was just coming to that realization that the way to leave a legacy, um, the way to honor Um, This privilege, this gift called life is to ensure that the next person um, can enjoy that same privilege in whatever capacity. Um, So the question you asked me, no one has ever asked me. So I can't tell you, oh, this is the point where empathy became that. But just thinking through, you know, um, several experiences um, is just like, well, I think this is what it is. So,
1: yeah. I, know, I love that and I appreciate that cause, uh, It shows in the work that you do um, even, even today uh, uh, As recently as some of the things you've been doing To uh, get people uh, of color To take advantage of economic opportunities In gathering real estate uh, and, and things of that nature Can you tell us about that? And then I want to parlay it into um, This whole experience of 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 running for the president of nigeria which is okay. is no small feat that is that is <laughs> tremendous. so um yeah so tell me about the how you've taken that empathy gift and now developed it into ways of economic empowerment and and mobilizing people because what i see from from what i gathered and uh learned about you is that you have an ability to mobilize you have an ability to uh to Find a problem, look for the solution, and mobilize people towards the solution of that problem, which is a a leadership gift as well. So, but yeah, look for you to
0: share. Uh, Thanks. Um, So I believe that the, uh, for the lack of a better word, the fortune of the black man um, will come from our ability to collectively empower ourselves and and I'm trying to find the right words here and there part to me so I I have asked myself um, why more than 400 years after slavery you know the uh, condition of the black man hasn't improved that much excuse me Um, and This also sort of ties into why I went home to run for office, right? I think that from the physical part of it, right, part of the problem is that there is no nation in the world today, no superpower, I would say, that prioritizes the welfare, the well-being of the black man. None. Um, And I believe that that responsibility lies in Africa Nigeria as the largest black nation in the world as Africa's largest economy that mantle rests on her head but she doesn't know it or refuses to take on that responsibility and that is why the condition and the state of the black man is the way it is today. <clears throat> um, so that was definitely part of the reason why I went to RUN, but I'll come back to that. Now, in terms of this collective movement of black people advocating for themselves and, and um, fighting for themselves, um, I realized that as much as we talk about diversity and inclusion, there is power exclusion that is focused on empowerment I don't know if that makes sense yeah so the way you have a seat at the table is if you have something to bring to the table that becomes your leverage Mm -hmm. right Um, and as much as we clamor for a seat at the table we have not spent time sufficient time In building the leverage that we need to bring to the table, which was what separate but equal was doing for us until integration. So if you ask me, and this is a personal view, integration has been more detrimental to the black community here um, than separate but equal was. Because what separate but equal or segregation did was force us to create our own institutions for our own advancement. So the HBCUs, the Black Wall Street, like all of those things, right? Which today have been compromised, um, are struggling because the our brightest minds have believed and bought into the hype that subjecting themselves in systems that do not want them is the best way um to be accepted so i was explaining this to a friend a couple of days ago i said we celebrate getting into the harvards and the whartons and the stanfords then we do the hbcs that paved the way for those who came before us right um we talk about you know um the lack of access of you know black black financial institutions, whether it's banks or da-da-da-da-da. But all of our accounts are Bank of America and Chase and you know, wherever else those banks or whatever else, you know, these are institutions that have continually exploited us, right? The bad loans the denials of mortgages and loans, right? All of those things, these are the same institutions that have exploited our communities that we keep crawling back to. Same thing with the Ivy Leagues, right? One, when they tell the affirmative action, excuse my language, bull crap, because there is a quota that says we will select a few who can come in here right Um, and make them feel like they are the privileged few right who all of a sudden now have access to the things that every other person in their community does not have the access to but on the flip side it's a controlled process to ensure that you and i and Many other people who look like us then have access to these things that our communities actually built. These Ivy Leagues all survive on the backs of slavery. And then you walk in there, you walk into a room, it, it shocks me that, you know, someone would tell you, Oh, well, you're an affirmative action, um, whatever. But they call this legacy. Well, Daddy bought my way into school. Daddy gave a million dollars for a lab blah blah, blah. no but that and it's that is the real affirmative action so you sit in a room and you look at the people there and 99% of the time you're smarter than more than 90% of the people in the class but because you're lone voice there they make you believe that you're you're just lucky to be here so, you still struggle in this space to define yourself, to find your voice, to assimilate in, in systems that keep telling you over and over and over and over again this is not for you. Meanwhile, we have deprived our communities, we've deprived our schools. Our uh, best athletes go to the schools that they think would give them scholarships. The best, you know, minds go to the Ivy League schools that they think they have access to resources, but our HBCUs are suffering. And then we turn around and say, well, you know, they don't have the resources, they don't have blah 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 blah, you know, no. So until we intentionally decide to invest in our communities, in our institutions, in our systems, um, we will constantly keep clamoring and begging for a seat at the table. So. When you asked about the things that are being done, I realized, well, in order for us to close the wealth gap, there are a few things that we have to do on our own, right? Um, Land ownership in America today is a source of wealth, right? Um, Generational wealth, actually. So how do we get our people to come together um, to build long-term legacy and when i talk about real estate investment i don't mean the 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 you know let's buy a building here that gives you a quick turnaround. you know no that's good enough but no how are we as a community coming together to purchase you know uh, something substantial um that we can build on for subsequent generations can you, can you speak to
1: the investment that you you are mobilizing people to get into can you speak to like Cause that's a great example of what you're talking about so for the, those listening they you know they're you're not talking about just flipping a house or, or buying one commercial property you're talking about buying towns you know? Right. So, so if you could talk to us a
0: little bit about that okay um so this was uh june first week in june i came across this article about this town in georgia called tombsborough that was up for sale um so randomly i Put up a post on social media saying, Hey, you know, this town is $1.7 million. If, if, if 340 black people commit $1,000, right, we raise the 20% down payment for the town. If this 340 people put down $5,000 each, we raise the entire, you know, $1.7 million to buy this town, right? And this is just a random post like I would normally do. Um, and within an hour, um i had over a hundred king commitments like people who said hey i'm in right uh, so at that point i knew that that wait there is something here that needs to be explored uh so i put up uh i included a google form um on the post um, and in four days we had over a million dollars in commitments right so i began to do diligence on the town i reached out to the owners um you know asked some questions did everything i needed to do i needed to do um and um a few things were troubling about the town right one um the town had been on sale since 2012 um which in itself was a red flag um there are several chemical plants around it in fact the majority of the residents in the town actually work at these chemical plants, um, which in itself is another red flag. Um, there's a nuclear plant forty minutes out, which they claim is safe. I'm like, yes, it's safe until it's no longer safe. Um, you know, so there were so many things, um, and then the fact that the open house they had—it was only black people who showed up. Like, hmm, for a town that has been on sale for eight years. Right. That has just got renewed interest or publicity. Um, There is something other people know that they are not telling us about this place. Right. Uh, And so a few other things like, uh, okay, Um, so I, I emailed the group. I said, listen, after diligence, this is a no go. And then I had spoken to a bunch of real estate people as well. And they say, you know what? It may actually be better. So just buy land and do what you want to do, um, so I started looking for land uh, in the south. I I had said that I wasn't going I wasn't going to reveal where the land was until the deal is closed um, for several reasons. Um, so I've been looking across you know diverse places. Um, mississippi which is not where this land i'm talking about is now was an interesting place um just because of the history and how much land you know black families had lost in the last 50 years over a million acres right um so buying land there seemed like a statement i think a political statement uh which may still happen but you know the, the focal point of what we're doing now is actually not in Mississippi. So right now I'm looking at about a thousand acres and the plan is um, to get as many black people as possible to collectively buy the land. Um, I mean, I think right now we have over 400 people on the list. Um, My plan is we buy the land. um, We put out a competition um, for development, uh, design um black students design the ideal city it, it will be more than a town or a village um and then you know source as much capital as possible again from black people from around the world um to build this city right so your ownership in the land um trans- becomes equity in the city Um, And the goal is, you know, this black-owned city by black people, um, black industries from across the world. Nigeria has a couple car manufacturers now. See if they'll be willing, you know, to put a plant there, right? So how do we pool ourselves to build something for us? Amazing. Um, Yeah. So um, I'm very excited because I think that, you know, to 300, 400 years from now, you know, subsequent generations will talk about it when we Absolutely. pull it off. So
1: and it's amazing. You think long term um, and, and you know, part of the process of finding your gift, right, is you first you discover what you're able to do. But then a lot of people don't go into the next phase, which is developing that gift. You obviously spend a lot of time to develop your talents and your abilities. Um, so can you tell, tell us a little bit about the development process of what you've used to enhance your gifting and to be make yourself a better leader. And then of course, tell us about how that leadership got you to the point of uh, running for the largest black nation in the world,
0: so. Um, so for me, I always like to refer to my experiences because they wouldn't always be the same for everyone. Um, vulnerability, um, in in my opinion, makes me an insatiable learner, right? Um, I like to feel... I like to learn from people who know better than I do, right? Um, And that's anyone at all, right? If you have a gift that's better than, you know, you have a strength that I can learn from, I want to learn from you. Um, Because I feel like that's the way... You become better, right? Even the Bible says, "Iron sharpens iron." Right? Um, if you're iron and you are hoping that wood will sharpen you, that would be a problem, right? Um, so surround yourself with people who have who are stronger than you in certain areas. It forces you to do your best. You know, um, to learn what you need to learn. Um, in a good way, right? So there's good competition, there's bad competition. Um, good competition comes from I want to be better because if I'm better, I can do better. Bad competition comes from a place of envy and jealousy. Um, so, so, yeah. So I, I, I think that understanding the fact that the, the work that needs to be done is so great. Um... That you don't have time to waste. You don't have time to be mediocre, right? Um, and so that pushes you, or in this case, it's me, um, to want to be better, right? How can I be effective at what I do? Right? And um, every opportunity to learn something new means that I become a better person. So what I may have known ten years ago, I'm hoping that. I know a whole lot more today um, and can have better impact than I did 10 years ago. So yeah. Um, what was the other question? How, running,
1: right? So, so that development, take us through, like like what did you actually do to develop yourself? Uh, uh, I know you you read, uh, yeah. you, know you go to conferences, speak at conferences as mm-hmm. well. Um, but but so, so a young person listening right now, or an old, older person that's like, okay, I've got this gift. I've got this gift of leadership. I've got this gift of empathy. I want to learn how I can take this to the next level. What would you? What did you do? And what would you suggest for them to to um, enhance their development?
0: Um, first and foremost, I think introspection and intentionality are extremely important. Um, you have to be true to yourself, right? Um, I think that's actually where growth comes from. Um, you have to be true to yourself. Um, and what being true to yourself means, you look yourself in the mirror and you say, well, you're bad at this, or you're not as, um, as you know, good a person as you think you are, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and then being intentional in trying to change that. So I tell people, if we spend less time judging people right, and focus inward more, um, the world would be a better place right? because you, you, you start to appreciate people for who they are. I'll give you an example. When I launched Startup 52 and defined our mission as um, you know, creating better access to resources and capital for untapped communities, and when we defined untapped communities people of color you know lgbtq women da, 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 it was a problem for my family they loved loved startup 52 but they would um my parents were like well do you have to mention lgbtq people right um you, you should not you should not want them to bring the gay agenda i'm like what in heaven is the gay agenda you know i'm like for me what i'm trying to do is to create access, right? I don't care what people do in their bedrooms. That's your problem, right? Um, And I I can't say that I'm an advocate for diversity and inclusion and then have an exclusion clause. That's that's hypocritical. That's being exactly the same thing that I'm trying to fight, right? Um, So yeah, I told him, you can't do that. So my father's like, well, if you just remove it, just don't say the LGBT part. I'm like, dad, trust me you think it it was easy for me to come out with this no it wasn't so i said i gave him an example i said um racism is bad correct he's like yes i said good so let's say you're i come from a very christian family comes up every christian family so i asked my dad to say you find yourself in the south deep south racist deep south and on a sunday you want to go to church right you come across these two churches one says one has a signpost saying blacks are welcome the other one does not where would you go first mm. and my dad tried to reason it's like well you know check you know to make sure they're theology i said no 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 you don't have internet to check anything you're standing right there in front of these two churches which would you walk into first you would go to the one that says blacks welcome you know why because they were intentional To recognize that you exist. That's
1: good.
0: Now, if you walk in there and their theology is completely different from, you know, what you believe, then, yeah, you may walk out and try the other one. But the point is, because they were intentional to reach out to you, you would feel more welcome going there first. And that was the end of that conversation. I said, that's the same thing here, right? So it's, I'm not here to judge people. Mm If I say that bigotry and prejudice is bad, then it spans across everything that is oppressive or suppressive of people, period. That's good. Right? Um, so, So it was that, and it was like I told you, recognizing that I had biases, I had prejudices that I had to deal with, that I had to tackle. And I'm not saying that I'm void of those prejudices, no. But I am intentionally confronting them, you know, and working on them daily. Um, So that's, in my opinion, that's what it takes, right? You have to be true to yourself. You have to be able to introspect and intentionally decide to change. It takes time, but it works.
1: Awesome, man! Awesome. That's powerful. I mean, I, 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 man, you're dropping so many gems, and I want to respect your time too. Uh, but I, uh, I do need to get to the to the the question that a lot of people were probably asking and wondering. Uh, now, knowing all these things that you've learned in your journey, what what puts you in a position mentally to run for the president of Nigeria and, and to be the youngest? Uh, presidential candidate to run for Nigeria in a country where uh, historically this has not been allowed you know so this so tell, tell, tell us about that journey what possessed you to do that okay
0: so um, so there were, there were a few factors um, I like I said everything I do comes from that you know we need to empower the black race and humanity right um, so going to run for office in nigeria was two things right it was uh, one of it i have shared but the belief that um the, the the fortune of the black man and its ability to improve runs through nigeria right was one um but the other one was um i say this as young africans we tend to complain a lot about leadership on the continent right um without without fully engaging without engaging in the process Um, and you know we all know that politics in nigeria at least is dangerous it's very volatile it's um um it's everything is violent it's volatile it's corrupt is blah 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 you know and prior to going to run i had not lived in that country for 16 years you know i'm nigerian uh, my family's there. You know, we interact a lot. I've visited a couple times, but I just had not lived there. Um, so what happened was we we decided, right? Um, in order for us to change the lot of Africa, we have to get involved, right? But we also knew that it was going to be difficult to topple a system that has been there for the last half century right we have the same people who fought for our independence still in power people who spent 50 60 years crafting and developing this system and perfecting it um and that system thrives on the ability to weaponize poverty and hunger right um so the question was we, there is absolutely no way we change this process if you don't understand the process. And the benefit for going to understand it were numerous, right? So one, their system comes from an analog place, right? It's from 50, 60 years ago. Um, there are several new trends that favor our generation today um, that we're not leveraging, whether it's big data, Right. Access to big data, um, urbanization. Um, you have more people moving into urban areas, um growing middle class, which means the the dependence of poor people on politicians who give them money and food once every four years to buy their votes, um is gradually reducing, right? When you can cater you can take care of your family and put food on the table um you don't necessarily need that you know tiny little bag of rice to go sell your vote out right um there's technology penetration uh with the internet people are beginning to learn a lot more um understand a lot more um you have the ability to share a, a strong message you know to a wider audience Um, So, these were several signs that were working our favor, but we were not leveraging. Right? So, going in was okay, in order for us to be able to craft a more comprehensive strategy that can either disrupt the system or circumvent the system, you need to understand the system. So, that eight months journey process i told people if i had spent 20 years trying to prepare myself for running for office in nigeria i could have never been as ready as what i learned from these eight months right um so yeah so it was that it was we need to learn this system in order to be able to change it but on top of that was also understanding that the future of africa depends on us The average age in Africa today is 18, thereabouts. right? Nigeria is 18.2. In places like Niger and Chad, it's 15. Which means for the next three, four decades, the people who are 15 will still be in the workforce, right? We have, have, in fact, uh, I want to say we are approaching, but I think we're there. When technologies such as artificial intelligence will completely change the way of life for us, period. With a true automation um, that would decimate employment um, in several ways, several diverse ways. And for a continent that we're still struggling to even provide power to the people, how do we prepare? A, a continent of 1.3 billion people for this new realities, right? Um, when you look at that and then you look at the, the aggressive um, um, influx of China, of Asia, right, on the continent, you start to wonder what future we have ahead of us if we do not at least take on... Um, the mantle of leadership on the continent. That's one. And then also understand that many of these leaders who are now in their 70s and their 80s and the 90s um, will all probably die out in another decade, maximum two decades, right? How are we preparing ourselves to ensure that we do not miss the opportunity to, you know, put in people who are right for the continent? Uh, so it, there, there were several factors. It was that, it was how do we bridge the gap between the continent and the diaspora and empowering the continent. So there were several factors that led to going to run. But above it all was we need to learn this process and learn it real very quickly so that we can start to change um, you know, leadership and um, create opportunities for ourselves.
1: And how was that experience running? Um, I'm, I'm sure you experienced a wide variety of emotions and a wide variety of challenges and, and victories and uh, everything in between. Can you tell us, because I, what I believe that is happening, Chika, as, as you honestly led the pack, right? Uh, you know, although uh, the former president is still in office, um, you've led the pack in, in saying, Africa, we need to rise up, and we need to start with the young people. So I believe you're a catalyst for the change that has been long overdue, and your work was, and I don't think you feel this way at all, but uh, your work was not in vain. Your work was essential and detrimental to the progression of Africa and Black people around the world. And with that, you've sparked minds young people that have listened or heard or are gonna now hear you um, in certain ways and will spark their minds. So with that said, what, what what was that experience and carrying that weight in, 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 you know, in doing this?
0: Hmm. Uh, I would say interested, um, partly because it, it was like a yin yang kind of thing, right? On one side, it was very traumatic. On the other side, it was was fulfilling, in a way. Um, Traumatic because confronting the realities of hunger and and suffering and pain will traumatize anyone, right? Um, So, yeah, we all know about our problems. We all know that there are a lot of people who are hungry, There are a lot of people who are suffering, that we have corrupt leaders, like practically most Nigerians know and understand the problem. However, though, confronting it face to face, talking to people to understand their own personal problems um, was a lot. Um, I went to this orphanage, I always talk about this experience because for days I cried I went to this orphanage in Kano, and uh, as young kids, oh, such a you know, it was a hard experience even to talk about. Um, and um, just looking at these kids, like I, we we fed them, like we bought like blankets and food and stuff, um, and we had to feed them. And the entire, I cried throughout the entire experience to so the point that. You know, the, the workers were like, hey, you know, <laughs> you're going to make the kids start crying with you and all that stuff. Um, but and it wasn't just the state of affairs, you know, just seeing these young kids and wondering what sort of futures these young kids would have. But at the end, there was this two-year-old girl who had latched on to me. She may, have, she may be a little older than two, you, know, you just never know. Malnutrition and all that, but she was young. She was definitely not more than four or five. And um, you know, I held, I, I carried her throughout. And right when we we're about to leave, you know, I was like, "Well, you know, I can't take you with me." And she was speaking house to me, which I didn't understand. I was speaking English to her because I'm um, like, you know, we have to go now. I can't take you. And some, some man. Um, Probably in his 50s, I want to say in his 50s, maybe even in his 60s, I don't know. Just casually said, you know, um, one way you can help is, um, you know, you could just bring money to the orphanage and you can marry some of the older kids. What? Yes. Yes. And by older kids, these are possibly 8, 910 year olds And that broke me, Right. It broke me because, one, the fact that he could say that very casually means that it's the norm there, right? So you have possibly 40, 50, 60-year-old men coming to buy kids because that's really what it is. Um, now, think about the, the abuse, that these young kids go through at the hands of even older kids there at the hands of possibly even the workers and only for you to go from that into a lifetime of abuse you know so it that statement haunted me for months I mean after that after after the election when I came back to the US for six seven months I couldn't function like I was completely off the radar because in the moment you many of the things that happened because you're just you live every day to survive every day, you're not processing stuff until after the entire process. That was when all of these things started to hit. To the point where I, said, I need therapy. Wow. Like I need therapy to talk through a bunch of stuff. Jeez. Just yeah, uh, so, yeah, you know. Um, and you know, then that's besides, of course, the political rigmarole and right. the other end. Not you even know, half of it." <laughs> 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 I had I, I i practically ran for president without a VP. Mm-hmm. Had a VP on paper, right? A woman from my party. So because technically the party assigns a VP to you, so that if you win, you know they have an insider. You don't just abandon them, right? She did not interview. I mean, she did not even take any pictures I for posting about that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. You know why? She was a mole from another party. You're kidding me. I kid you not. You're kidding me. I kid you not. And I couldn't oh. say that publicly because oh. then the people yeah. would be like, you know. Yo, my VP was a mole from another party. Wow. Yeah. A bunch to the election. Your
1: insights with her or did you know like kind of like to numb and keep things,
0: keep things private? Dude, I, I mean, because I became, I was the of the party technically mm-hmm. it was a new party right um so press and everything was me and i had to hold it up right if i was fighting with the party because they were also trying to exploit money from me what i'll get to that yes oh they sent me a letter a month to the election saying they're withdrawing their support yes Oh my goodness. but the thing was at that point um because they had printed the ballot. You, the, your name can't come off anymore so i'm like go to hell guys i mean what support i was the one supporting the party not the other way around <laughs> you know it was crazy it was crazy yeah they gave me an ultimatum to bring them money otherwise they were going to withdraw this so i said what support are you talking about a lot of money actually one of the executives had told my brother months before well, that they know usually when people come from, you know, outside to run for office, that is just the front to raise money, right? So that they needed me to sign an MOU that says, whatever money I raise, I would give 60% to the party and then I keep 40%.
1: Oh my God.
0: Dude, I'm like, even if that's what I came to do, you think I'll give you guys 60%? Like, oh. who do you think I am? <laughs> it was crazy it was a lot of craziness okay we found out later mind you the person who introduced me to the party was a pastor that had known my family from when we were young so my father was like hey you know that little did we know and then initially he was like yeah you know whatever if you want to give money to the party you know you have to give it to me like we should send it to him so that um he can make sure they don't invest all my money and in. so initially we we're thinking oh you know pastor a standing guy blah 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 guess what I was just his product what so his agreement with the party was any money I was bringing to the party he owned 30% of what dude <laughs>
1: Like this is double crossing and triple crossing and backstabbing <laughs> and Judas and
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just a product to him, right? Um, it was it was madness. It was absolute madness all around.
1: Wow, I mm-hmm. wow, it sounds like we could spend a whole show just talking about
0: everything. Yeah. Running right oh. for office is an entire different. It's an entirely different <laughs> show. We can't go into all of it today. I, I told people, I said, I don't even think my vote for myself counted. Wow. Because on election day, my polling unit that was supposed to open at 6 a.m., so it was supposed to be 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., did not open until afternoon. So usually what they do on election day, because that's when they get to open the ballot, whatever, they take it to, you know, whatever politician who has enough money, and they do all the whatever before they come out. It, it was just, yes, yes, yes. That so, That's so, much, like, um, what, so I, I, much. I know this is a crazy question. Would you run again? Um, you know, initially I, I, I used to say no. But I think I can't do it again. I think I will. Well, it depends. So the condition now is if I find someone who has the right ideology and capacity, I don't mind supporting them. So I don't have to do it again, right? Like I said, going in was to learn about the process in order to come up with a better strategy, right? Um, At the end of the day, what we're looking for is great leadership and governance that can move the continent forward, right? So it doesn't have to be me, yeah. So would I do it again? Maybe. Okay. But it's not. Not a hundred percent. Yeah. So
1: I want you to picture that you're talking to a million qualified, and I know there's probably more than this, but you're you're talking to a million qualified African leaders who would be upstanding, integrists like yourself, who who are who are progressive and technologically driven, and want to take Africa to the next level. Um, and and they're not just going for the presidential positions but they're going for uh you know startup building startups like yourself and building organizations and transforming what are what are the words that you would say to them uh, to encourage them in their journey of not only gift discovery but just to help advance and, and take Africa to the next level what are what are the words you would say to them and share with them
0: hmm Um so sometimes i feel like there's a two different um audiences right so those who are running startups and those who are trying to go into leadership even though i feel like i, I usually say that the entirety of my work is at the intersection of public service and innovation <clears throat> um preparation is important one just do it right um Sometimes I think we we spend a lot of time over analyzing things and over processing things um, that we miss out on great opportunities to create change, right? So, and I say that because um, the funny thing was, some of the presidential candidates were like, dude, you injected ideology into our elections. Um, And at first I'm like, how? It's like, listen. You became the gold standard after you went on CNN. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because technically, I was the first person candidate, period, to go on CNN, right? That was actually where I announced my candidacy. But I didn't know that, right? I, I just, I had some guy who helped me get on. Then I did BBC and all this other stuff. Um, and then after that, everybody now started trying to go on CNN and international platforms to talk about what is they're doing. Um, Just do it, right? Sometimes passion um, is a good enough driver to make you do stuff. And some people will say, well, you know, what role does preparation play? Preparation is important as well, right? Preparation helps. Um, It also helps now that there are people who have tried it, right? Um, So at this stage, I can easily tell you, here are the things that I believe, if you want to run for president in Nigeria or even for other positions, here are the things that you should focus on in terms of building capacity. Um, And that may not guarantee that you would win, but you will leave an impact. You'll have a positive impact. Um, And I learned that from engaging the process. Like I said, if I had spent the next 20 years outside of the system, trying to develop the strategy, it could never ever beat what they have right now, right? Um, so for those who are interested in you know running for office and blah, 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 um, I'll be happy to have a conversation you know with them on you know a little bit more details of what i think or how i think they can go about it and this is not just even in nigeria or across africa i think it's important here to um run for office right um people keep thinking that the black population yes is just 40 million here um but many of us don't understand that 16 and under you actually have more Children of color in America today than white children. Wow. Yeah, people don't know that. Wow. Right? Um, which means that even in our lifetime, America possibly could become um, more of a colored nation than white. Interesting. Um, and what comes with that is the responsibility of representation, mm-hmm. run for offices extremely important right um economically it may be a little tougher because the systems that are in place have been designed um to frustrate and to suppress and oppress our communities what political power does is give you the opportunity to start to correct some of those um and i wanted to mention this i told this to someone i said it's ironic that in this environment of you know passionate um advocacy and protests about racism and white supremacy white privilege right under our noses the the greatest the greatest fraudulent transfer of wealth to white families happened Hmm. let me explain it so with the ppp loans right the whole you know loans and cares act and blah 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 um the numbers were released i think last week earlier this week or maybe last week and uh, i think 14 percent of those who received the loans actually um Did say what their racial composition or background was. Of the 14% that did, 1.9% of black founders got PPP loans. 83% of white founders or white businesses got PPP loans. The biggest fraud underlying that is these loans could easily there are parameters that you could easily meet that turns them into grants that you don't have to pay back right so if we extrapolate those numbers to these other 80 86% that did not identify themselves I mean, prior to those numbers coming out, we already knew that over 95% of black businesses that applied for these loans were denied. Over 95%. Over 90% of businesses of color were denied, right? Um, So if if, if these loans are turning into grants, it means that our federal government just gave money to white families that in the long run will expand the wealth disparity wow. right under our noses
1: never looked at it like that wow
0: Yep. right um, so it's important that we know that you know we're not I hate the word minority but As America becomes more diverse, it's important that representation happens with that. And the right representation would only happen um, if we understand the power we have to run for offices, to take on dispositions, to demand dispositions. Uh, So for those who are here, you know, you don't have to be in Africa and just looking to run for offices in Africa. Run for offices here. From the lowest to the highest levels of governance do it you may not win but you learn something that can help somebody else like you win
1: i love that that's that's gold that's gold brother i have one final question for you uh thank you for your generosity with your time
0: Uh, um i owe you this (laughs) (laughs) the
1: the question is and we ask every guest on the show what is the difference between one's gift and one's purpose, one's gift, and one's
0: purpose. Hmm. I wish you sent me these questions <laughs> before today. <laughs> Trust
1: me, everybody has the same reaction. It, it's a question that is a very introspective question.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I think um, your gifts are supposed to serve your purpose. Right. Your purpose is understanding who you are and your place in the world. Your mm-hmm. gifts enable you to execute on that. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. So you use your gifts to live out your purpose. Mm-hmm. That's good.
1: Clear example. Okay. Them. Thank you. <laughs> so is there are there any resources we're going to have in the show notes you know start of 52 all the different organizations and things that you do but are, are there anything you want to share with people some initiatives or things you have going on uh, anything you want to promote and let people know that you're doing and can get involved with
0: um, they can reach you. sure uh, so I'm very I'm very accessible on social media so it's first and last name uh, Okebu, C-H-I-K-E uk aegbu twitter linkedin um facebook um instagram just reach out you know um i may take a little bit of time to respond just because you know um but i i do my best to respond to all of those Uh, in terms of the things that i'm working on now oh before i leave um, I wanted to underscore the importance of, of supporting our um, institutions, right? And I am living by example. I started an executive MBA program at Howard University, um, so I believe that you know it's good to talk the talk, but it's also it's more important to walk the walk, right? Um, so intentionally start to ask yourself and think about ways that you can support. Black institutions, black businesses, black people, um, black talents, you know, all of that, right? Um, if we collectively start to do that, we empower communities, right? So just follow me on social media as things start to materialize. I will talk about them a little bit more. Um, and uh, yeah, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, GK. This is phenomenal. I know people are going to be blessed by it. Ah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it Then I met my boy, David E. Simons I searched all over the world, struggling to find it Then I met my boy, David E. Simons